I take you to be my husband, to have and to hold from this day forward. For better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish until parted by death. This is my solemn vow. Guys, this is the last week of our series, The Vow, and I gotta be honest with you as we dive in here today, uh, I think this is having a lot of impact on a lot of different people. I've had some really great conversations with some marriages that had been struggling, that this series has really helped those couples focus on Jesus and the principles that they need to take to help make their marriages stronger. And I just want to encourage you today that this is not just about marriage. This is about our relationship with Jesus. And, and my goal coming out of today is that we are all just taking a step together toward Jesus, that we leave this place today having drawn closer to Jesus than we were when we walked through the doors. And I'm excited about taking that journey. Who's excited to go on that journey today? Can we just get our, get our hands together and get excited about what God is going to do in this place today? And I just want to encourage you today to lean into his voice and listen to what it, has that, that, what it is that he has to speak into your life. Because I think the reality is that as we dive into scripture today and, and the message for today, this message applies for everybody because it is the vow of purity. That is me saying, Jesus, I don't want there to be anything in my life that is, is rooting in darkness. I, I want my life to be seeking the light chasing after you with everything that you have. God, I don't want there to even be a hint of impurity in my life. And that affects my relationship with Jesus. That affects our relationships with our spouses. And so today, I just want to encourage you to lean in and listen to what it is that Jesus is speaking into your heart today. Uh, we are starting off with this idea in Genesis 2 that Adam uh, has been created by God. He's naming all the animals, and he gets through all of them, and he has this realization, there is no companion for me. I have no partner to do life with. And that's when God puts Adam into a deep sleep, takes his rib, forms Eve, presents Eve to Adam, and he's like, wow, I, I didn't say it. I was going to, but I didn't. And, uh, but he was like, whoa, man. I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. And there she was. That's how woman was named. And uh, God creates this perfect partner for Adam. And, and it's after this moment that this beautiful scripture in Genesis 2 says, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. I mean, everything changes to become one. And it says in the New Testament, Jesus speaking about this scripture says, what God has joined together, let no one separate. I mean, when we talk about this unity in marriage, it is two separate things becoming one tangible, cohesive unit. And, and, and there's something happens there in the unifying of two people in that sacred vow, that sacred covenant of marriage, that really is a beautiful and holy thing. And what's interesting about this passage of scripture is that in verse 25, it goes on to say, Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame, which I always thought, what's well, kind of a weird verse to just add on randomly, right? They were both naked, they were just running around in their birthday suits, and they felt no shame. The reality is, that's a really important detail. This idea of shame uh, in, in the Hebrew, the, the, the story, the meaning that is connected with that word is not just limited to that, that feeling of shame. It's actually much deeper than that. It actually alludes to this entire feeling of worthlessness. 
And if you think about that in terms of the relationship that we have with God, the relationship that we have with our spouses, it is a beautiful thing when we know that there is nothing that is a barrier between us and our relationship with God. There is a beautiful thing when we know that there is nothing that is a barrier between us and our relationship with our spouse. It's really important to, to recognize these are areas and beautiful moments in our lives where I don't have to walk in shame. I don't have to be overcome by worthlessness. That's how we were created to live. In fact, this is a beautiful picture of, of creation as God intended it for it to be. I consider this, in Genesis 1 and 2, before the fall of man, there is a beautiful description of life before the fall, of life as God created it and intended it to be. Everything is good. Notice this, when, when God created the heavens and earth, it says in scripture, he backed away from it, he looked at it and he said, this is good. Like, I've done some good work here. You know, God's kind of bragging on himself, this is good. And, and there's this beautiful reality where Adam and Eve are in a completely unbroken relationship with God. They are living life as God created it in full relationship with him. And the, the picture that we see of God and his relationship with mankind is that in the evening, as the sun is beginning to set, which is, I gotta be honest with you, my favorite time of the day, all right? My happy place is Clearwater Beach, Florida. I make no apologies for that. That is my happy place. If I can get there, anytime I can get there, I absolutely will. And my favorite time of day in the happiest place on earth for me is when the sun is going down. Anybody else like a good sunset on the beach, You're just kind of sitting there in your chair and watching the sun go down. It's like a masterpiece from God every single day. It's like, yes, thank you, God. Let's do that again tomorrow at the same time. That'd be fantastic. Uh, it's just a beautiful moment. Oh, it's just relaxing. It's calm. It just makes you stop and think of the greatness and the goodness of God. It's, it's beautiful. Well, it just, it, it describes this moment in the Garden of Eden where as the sun is setting, it's becoming dusk, it, 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 it just shows us this picture of God the presence of God coming to the Garden of Eden and meeting with Adam and Eve. And it describes them as walking together and talking together. And it's just this picture of an intimate, beautiful friendship, a relationship between God and man. That, that is the relationship that you and I were created for. I, make no mistake, that's what you were created for. When God stepped back and said, hey, this is good, this was, this was his perfect creation. And then what happens? Well, sin enters into the world. The serpent deceives Adam and Eve. Did God really say don't eat from the fruit of this tree? I mean, they had one job, one job to do, and they couldn't resist the fruit. And so what happens? Eve, she takes the first bite, gives it to Adam. He's like, thanks, this is delicious. And he doesn't even think about what he's doing because he's a guy. And the reality is, <laughs> the reality is that's where sin entered into the, into the earth, and it, it ruined everything. Because of that moment, now sin has destroyed everything. Now death has entered into the world. Sickness, pain, suffering, everything changes. It's ruined. And I'm so thankful that the story doesn't end there. Aren't you thankful that God redeemed that? He sends Jesus to pay the price we couldn't pay so we can still experience his forgiveness, so we can be set free. We have hope for eternity, our destiny with God where everything will be restored. That relationship, that beautiful picture of the Garden of Eden will be restored. That's a beautiful thing. It shows the love that God has for us, that selfless, sacrificial love that serves, that we are called to um, show our, our spouses and our marriage and to reflect in our lives. It's a beautiful thing. But when, when that beautiful relationship was broken by sin, everything changes. 
It says after, that they, after they ate the fruit in Genesis 3, it says, Then the eyes of both of them, Adam and Eve, were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. I mean, that's the first thing that they realized. They eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The serpent is deceiving them. God doesn't want you to eat that because he doesn't want you to be as wise as him. He wants to be the one who's over you. That's why. Just eat the fruit. That's, that's, eat the fruit. It's not a big deal. So they eat the fruit. It changes everything. And the first thing they realize is like, hey, this is delicious. I'm naked. I don't know why. That's, that's just, it is what it is. That's what happened. So they, they sew fig leaves together, made coverings for themselves. It is legend that Adam looked at Eve and said, somebody's got to wear the plants in this family. You're welcome. You're welcome. But, <laughs> but the Lord God, it's so dumb. I'm so sorry. It was so dumb. I'm sorry. Uh, but it says the Lord God called to the man. And this is interesting because, right, they eat from the garden, the, the tree that they're not supposed to. Everything changes. They realize they're naked. They cover themselves. And suddenly they feel shame. And it's that whole idea that encompasses worthlessness, and this beautiful relationship with God is now broken. Everything changes. And so when the presence of God comes to meet with them at dusk, instead of embracing the presence of God and, and experiencing that fellowship, they're walking and talking with their creator God who loves them with an extravagant love. Instead of embracing that beautiful relationship, they hide in their shame. It says, the Lord God called to them, and where are you? And so it says he answered, like, <laughs> out of the bushes, right? Like, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, so I hid. <laughs> it's kind of a ridiculous picture, and, and yet, I mean, it, it speaks to the shame that can overwhelm us in our sin. I, it, it speaks to the, the worthlessness that we can feel, because, I mean, so often we tie the what, you know, the thing in our life that has separated us from God, that, that moment where I know I have failed, we tie that shame and that sense of worthlessness with the what to, to, to the who, to me. Like suddenly I am that sin. Suddenly I am worthless. Suddenly I am, I just need to hide from the presence of God because there's no way that, that he still wants to be with me. And that's, that's tragic. That's tragic. And as we talk about the vow of purity today, I want to encourage you to just walk toward the light of Jesus, to allow yourself to know that when you say, Jesus, I need you, when you say, Jesus, I confess, I have fallen short, I have sinned, God, would you forgive me? Know this, that as far as the east is from the west, that's how far he separates your sin from you. It, he throws that into the ocean. It is gone. And you are forgiven. You are set free. And I think so often we, we keep walking in our shame. We keep walking in our worthlessness. And, and we buy the lie a lot of times that this is who I will always be. And I want you to know today, unequivocally, there is hope. When you take this vow of purity... That changes immediately. You don't have to stay with who you were in your past. You can walk into your future. And I love, as a pastor, being able to walk alongside people who 
who take those beautiful steps toward Jesus and, and watch as their lives are transformed. I get to see that all the time. That's the perks of the job that I get to experience. I get to see those beautiful moments and celebrate them. And whenever I get a chance to celebrate those and share those, I want to do that. And in thinking about this concept today, tying it in with the vow, I wanted to share the story of Eric and Rebecca with you to celebrate how lives can be radically changed and how you don't have to be stuck in your past and trapped by any guilt or anger or shame that you feel. So watch the story of Eric and Rebecca and celebrate the change that God has brought to them. Watch this video. My name is Eric Harrington. I, um... You introduced me too. This is about marriage. My name's Eric Harrington. This is my wife, Rebecca Harrington. Um, we've been going to Crossroads for about 10 years now. Um, so we met in high school. I was a freshman starting marching band and he was the cute boy next door. And we started dating when I was a sophomore. Um, I was 15. We found out that I was pregnant. Obviously you don't plan a teenage pregnancy. It was kind of the way things went. When I found out I was pregnant, one of the churches that we were at, I went to the youth group and I told them I was pregnant. And they said, well, then you can't participate in our youth group because you're a bad influence. We don't want you around the other kids. That was like really hard to hear because that's not what you expect from a church. And my mom and I went to Crossroads alone the first Sunday when she went to the adult service and I went up to the youth room. Tim was the youth pastor at the time and I, I grabbed one of those chairs and I pulled it to the back and I sat there and I like slouched down in my chair and I crossed my arms and I just sat there and put on my angry face. At the end of service, Tim walks up to me and he goes, hi, I'm Tim, who are you? And I said, I'm Becky and I have a kid downstairs. And he just was like, okay, what's your kid's name? How old is your kid? Is it a boy or a girl? Like, and was just so casual about it. And the fact that he was willing to just like talk to me and be okay with me being a parent. I walked downstairs and I met my mom and I said, this is where we're going to church. My mom really pushed us to try to make it work as parents. And it wasn't even, she wanted us to stay together as a relationship for Edward. When we got married, we sat down and we were like, okay, when are we gonna have our next kid? Because that's what married people talk about. Okay, let's wait two, two years. That same week I took a pregnancy test and found out I was pregnant because God always has a plan God's and got a plan. That's it's not our plan. <laughs> it's never our plan. So I'm thinking, how are we going to afford? Yeah, that was know, the instant thought is how are we going to afford two kids? I don't want to be a dropout. I don't want to be um, someone who just gets their GED and does this basic job and barely get, get through. Our family supported us going through high school and then going to college. Mm -hmm. And going going to college meant that I have to figure out how to work and, and, and go to college and support my family in the best I can and be a good father. We have always said that God has a plan for us. We've always believed it. He has a plan, even if we have no idea what it is. He has a plan, and that's gotten us through everything. Literally everything. Everything. We've seen over the years that God's got it. It's fine. It's God's fine. got it. Like, like we've had no money. We've been at that point where we have no money, and now we're both college graduates, and we're both working grown-up jobs, and like, and we're actually at a point now where we can tithe regularly, and we were part mm -hmm. of the all-in. We signed up for the all-in for the, and that's the first time really that we've 
been at a point where we can regularly tithe. Yeah. Everybody has marriage troubles and relationship troubles, and we've gotten through all of that because we turn to God in it. We turn to the support system that God has given us. I feel like normal relationships that would go through the things that we've gone through but didn't have God in them wouldn't be where we are at. Like It, w- it would have dissipated by now. Yeah. Would have been gone. I mean, and it's. But I know God wants me with him, and I know God has a plan for our kids and for us and for our family and our careers and our money and everything about our life. And that's made me stick it out with him. Touche. Hey! (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I love that story. There, there is something beautiful about watching that progression of lives that are changed as they chase after Jesus. And, and I remember that day. Honestly, you guys probably don't know. I used to be the youth pastor here. I started here in May of 2008. And I'm going to tell you right now, that feels like a long time ago. All right. It just feels like a long time. And I remember that day meeting Rebecca in the youth room, seeing how just angry she was. And I, you guys, I'm the guy who's just crazy enough to believe that Man, God can change people's lives. Uh, Man, God loves you just the way you are, but he refuses to leave you that way. He wants you to become more like him. And when people chase after Jesus, God changes their lives. And even though you find yourself in a place you didn't really expect to be in, and you're angry, and you're feeling the, the heat from the decisions you've made, the reality is that's not what defines you you can still live into the life that God called you. And I'm just so proud of Eric and Rebecca, uh, the choices that they've made and to see who they have grown into being. And I just can't wait to see the future that God has for them. And, and that's the story that God has for all of us. Uh, figure out where you are at and make this vow that, that I am going to be pure. I think when it comes to our relationship with God and when it comes to our relationship in our marriages, let's just think about this concept for a second. Secrecy is the enemy of intimacy. Can we just process that and think about that for a second? Secrecy is the enemy of intimacy. Can we say that out loud together? Secrecy is the enemy of intimacy. I mean, what happens when Adam and Eve realize they're naked, they're ashamed, what do they do? They go hide in the bushes, right? Because they're feeling worthless. And for whatever reason, we have that tendency when we do feel guilt, when we do have shame, when we have remorse for what we've done or this habit that we're holding on to in our life that has taken us farther than we ever thought we would go, what we do is we end up kind of hiding in the bushes and being overwhelmed by our shame. And I think that's why these vows are so incredibly important. I mean, the first vow that we talked about in week one was, I promise that God will be my first priority and my spouse will be my second This is incredibly important for building your foundation for your life on Jesus and not allowing yourself to build a foundation on anything else. I think when people exchange their vows on their wedding day, when you are getting married on your wedding day, think about that beautiful moment and just how sacred of a moment that is. People have spent thousands of dollars to make that moment happen. Well, I should say they've spent thousands of dollars on their reception and on their DJ, but That's just me a little bitter as a pastor, a little bitter. Uh, They've spent thousands of dollars to make that moment amazing. And no one in that moment plans for failure, right? Like looking across at your spouse, it's like, you know, I promise to love and to cherish you until, you know, I meet that special someone at work and I have an emotional affair that leads to something else. 
I promise to become addicted to pornography and not be the husband that you called me to be. No one does that, right? No one does that. I, I hope that I will inflict pain on the people that I love the most, just pain that you never thought possible. Nobody goes into marriage thinking that. That's not your plan. So how do we get there? Well, we forget, we forget what's important. We lose our sense of what the best priority is. Like If God is not my one, if I am not making God the highest priority in my life, that's when I begin building my life on a bad foundation. And sin is that thing that it tempts you and it beckons you and it says, you're going to be okay. It's the same lie from the beginning. Did God really say you shouldn't do that? You're going to be fine. He just doesn't want you to be happy. You can control this. This has ruined other people's lives, but it won't ruin yours. And suddenly you find yourself having walked down a path that you never thought you would walk down. And those choices that you've made have been so destructive that you find yourself in the same place of Adam and Eve. You're you're just wrecked by shame. You begin to feel worthless. The secrets in your life are overwhelming you, and you hide in them. And that's why sin is so destructive. That's why God has to be our number one priority so we can avoid those pitfalls in life because you don't have to give in to those temptations. How incredible is that, that there's no temptation that you face in this life that you cannot escape. God gives you the strength. God gives you the power. God gives you the opportunity to overcome every single temptation in your life. You can claim that power in your life. You don't have to give in. So make God your number one. Thou number two, I promise to always pursue my two. If your spouse is your second priority, then that's the most important human relationship you will have on planet Earth. Pursue your two. Give your spouse everything you've got. If you fall into the trap of looking around other people's yards, the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. If that's what you're thinking, then it's time to water your own lawn. I'll say it again. Focus on you. Focus on your relationship. Stop comparing yourself to everybody else and do the work. It takes work. And when two become one, when two people are joined together in that holy and sacred covenant, man, the next vow is so incredibly important. I promise our marriage will be about we and not me because it's not about me anymore. It's about my spouse. I have the opportunity to love someone in this lifetime the way that God loves me. That love is not based on feeling or passion or emotion. That is a selfless, sacrificial love that serves. It is a committed love. And when two people love each other with that kind of love, that's where the strongest possible relationships are formed. Which is why this, this final vow that we're talking about today is so important. This vow, I promise to confide in you and not hide from you. Man, how powerful is that to let go of the secret? To be honest with God, to be honest with your spouse. Hey, these are things that I struggle with. These are things that I want to be honest and open about. I think the lie is that when we are we're open to being vulnerable and being honest that somehow we'll be cast away or, or kicked to the curb when the reality is, man, secrecy is the enemy of intimacy. And that's true in our marriages. It's true in our relationship with God. But it all is contingent on us making him our highest priority, seeking him first, and doing everything we can to, to walk in this life that he has called us to, walk in freedom. Ephesians 5 speaks to this. This is Paul writing. He says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Think about the contrast there from darkness to light. You were once darkness, 
but you've been saved, you've been forgiven, you've been set free. When you say yes to Jesus, again, your sin is separated as far as the east is from the west. You don't have to walk in that shame any longer. You are not worthless. You are now a child of God. You are his prized possession made in his image. Man, he loves you and there is nothing you can do about it. You are called to this life where you get to become more like him and live that life that he planned for you. What an amazing transition and change that is, a transformation in our lives. That's what God has called us to. You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. And he says, live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. These are all the things of God. We know what they are. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. I mean, what he's saying here is there is a definite line, right? There's a definite line. We've talked about this before at Crossroads. There's the line of darkness and there's the line of light, right? And we are called as children of light to pursue the light, to become everything that God called us to be. He's saying, don't have anything to do with the darkness. You know what the darkness is. Stay away from it. But what happens? We try to get as close to the line as we can. Instead of pursuing Jesus with everything we've got, for whatever reason, we have to fight this temptation to get as, as close to the line as we can. Like, how much can I dabble with the darkness and still be okay? Okay, like, well, I still feel okay here. I've got, I've got just enough of both worlds. I'm going to be just fine. And I think we've bought the lie, a lot of us as followers of Christ today in our culture, that we can somehow straddle this fence and hold on to a lot of the light and hold on to a lot of the darkness and maybe try to get the best of both worlds. And, and we're losing. We can't live there. We weren't created to live there. And what happens when you, when you dabble with the darkness, you go farther in, it always takes you farther than you want to go. What happens when you go into the dark? Your eyes begin to adjust, right? When you first go into a dark room, you walk in, you stub your toe on a piece of furniture, and you say things that you weren't intended to say, and you yell, and you scream, ah, you have a broken toe because you couldn't see. I've made that really much more extreme than I thought I would. Uh, but you walk into a dark room, you can't see. But what happens after a minute or two? Well, your eyes begin to adjust. Your eyes are pretty amazing. All the rods and the cones in your eyes, they begin to adjust, and suddenly you can see, and suddenly it doesn't seem so dark. Oh, I can navigate. Oh, there's the piece of furniture. Now I don't have to stub my toe on that. And suddenly you become accustomed to the dark, and you just get drawn into this place that you never thought you would be. And God's calling us into the light. You ever been in that situation where you're, you're in a dark room and somebody flips on the light? You ever been in there and it's just painful? You go, ah! Our basement is super dark. Uh, we've got a big screen set up down there. We watch TV and sports and movies and whatnot. It's kind of our haven. And we do all lights out. It's never going to happen. Well, we just recently had new LED lights put in the basement. And when you turn them on, it's, it's bright. It's like there are eight suns in the, in the ceiling. It's, it's just, I mean, you can get a tan in our basement now. And a, a few weeks ago, one of my boys came down and just randomly flipped on the light full blast after I'd been down there for like an hour in the dark. And I'm going, ah! you're grounded. <laughs> and he was. He was grounded. <laughs> no, he wasn't. <laughs> but it's painful, right? Because my eyes have become accustomed to the darkness. And that, that's what happens in our spiritual lives. We allow things to be in our life that have no business being in our life. God's calling us to the light, and in our culture, we're being consumed by all the things that our culture is. We're allowing ourselves to become emotionally attached to people at work. We're allowing ourselves to be consumed by pornography. These are things that are ruining us. 
We're allowing things that were never meant to be part of our lives to have a foothold. We're, we're playing with the darkness. And God's calling us to walk in the light. No secrets, no shame. Walk in the light. And he gives us this standard. He, he calls us to this standard of excellence. It's so incredibly important that we recognize this. In Ephesians 5.3, Paul says, But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity. I mean, he's calling us to this beautiful standard that sounds really difficult. Like, how can I possibly do that? But he's saying, you can do this. If you live as children of light, if you chase after me, make me your highest priority. You don't have to deal with any of the secrets. You don't have to deal with any of the shame. And what a beautiful place that is to live, to walk in fellowship with God, to walk with him and talk with him. In your marriages, to experience the deepest level of intimacy and fellowship and friendship that you can because there's no secrets. There's no shame. You're saying yes to Jesus in every area of your life, not giving the devil a foothold anywhere. I mean, Matthew 5, 27 and 28, Jesus speaks into this. He says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Everybody knows that. It's one of the top ten, the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament. Jesus takes it to the next level, though. He says, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. He cares about our heart. And he wants in our lives for, for him to be the highest priority, chasing him with everything that we've got walking in the light, not being trapped by the darkness, not buying the lie of the devil because he's telling the same lie he told from the very beginning. Did God really say don't do that? Will that really be a path that leads to death? And so we rationalize and we justify and before we know it, we're walking down a path we never intended to walk down. We never dreamed of walking down. And that's how the devil destroys us. That's how we find our place, ourselves in places of shame consumed by that feeling of worthlessness, forgetting who we've been called to be. And I just want to encourage you today because you don't have to live that way. And this vow of purity is beautiful because you don't have to be trapped by your past any longer. That vow of purity is a new beginning. Right now, start living into the future that you were called to. You are a child of God. When you ask God to forgive you, he forgives you. He sets you free. You don't have to be who you once were. You don't have to walk in guilt and shame. That's not how you were created to live. You were created to walk as a child of God into the light. I'd say today, follow Jesus into the light. There's this question, you know, how can we stay pure? Psalm 119 says, how can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And these are such beautiful words from David. I mean, this is an incredible picture of who we've been called to be, the man after God's own heart. He's committing here not even a little bit of impurity in my life. I'm chasing after you, Jesus. And I think we've got to make that, that commitment in our hearts. We're not going to settle for any impurity in our lives, not even a little. Honestly, when I think about impurity in my life, I kind of tie that into food. I don't know why that is, but like, it's like how, how impure, how, how dirty does the food have to be before I don't eat it? And I think there is an equation there. Last night we went out to dinner and I had what is a typical meal for me. It started with pork nachos. I don't know if any pulled pork nachos. I'm not a big vegetable guy, I'm just gonna tell you that. I don't like to eat the food that my food eats. You know what I'm saying? I don't, I don't want that. So. 
we, we, Dana and I went out to dinner together. I had some pulled pork nachos that we were sharing. And I don't know if you're like me, you ever, you have nachos, you want to build like the perfect nacho every time, like just enough of everything on it. It's like, yes, I've made the perfect nacho. Is that just me or is anybody else like that? Is that just me? Am I the only one who thinks like that? I've got the perfect nacho. I'm like, this is going to be awesome. And I go to eat it and the chip breaks and it falls. Has anyone ever experienced that? It's like, <laughs> it was the perfect nacho. Well, it fell like on the table, you know, at the, the restaurant. I'm going, no. And that's in my mind. It was only on the table for like two seconds. It's the perfect nacho. And I have to decide, is it been, you know, <laughs> ruined by whatever madness is on the table? Or can I justify, like, oh, it's only on the table for two seconds. I was fully vaccinated. I'm eating it. I ate that chip last night. It happened, I ate it. I ate it right off the table. It was the perfect chip. <laughs> But we can't live like that in our spiritual lives. We gotta be called to purity. Like, don't, don't even let a hint of that stay in your relationship with God or, or stay in your relationship with your spouse. Man, can I read these verses again in Psalm 119? These are such good verses. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word, applying, putting into practice the things that we know to be true. I seek you with all my heart. God, you are my number one. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. That is me pursuing Jesus with everything that I have, making it my goal to stay pure. And that's where God calls us to be, right? No secrets, no shame. It's, it's living every day with your head held high. You are a child of God. You are not worthless. You, God loves you with an extravagant love. He paid the price that you could not pay when you didn't deserve it so that you could experience forgiveness and be set free so that that relationship that was broken at the beginning could be restored. That's how you were created to live. And I, I challenge every person here today, walk into that light don't allow even a hint of impurity to remain in your life because it will always take you farther than you ever wanted to go. And as we come to a close here today, as, as we wrap this up, I want to give you a chance to do something special today. When we talk about this vow, I promise to confide in you and not hide from you. Uh, we're going to have a chance here in just a moment to have what I think could be an actually pretty cool and romantic moment. Guys, this is a freebie just for you today because here's what we're going to do. We're going to take the opportunity to renew these vows with our spouses. If you're married here today, I want you to take seriously the opportunity here that we have to renew these vows with your spouse to think about the reality that when I put these vows that we've been talking to into practice, this makes my marriage stronger than it, than it could ever possibly be. When I say, God will be my first priority and my spouse will be my second. When I put that into action in my life, that sets the foundation for real success. When I promise to always pursue my two, to chase after my spouse with everything that I've got, that sets up your marriage for ultimate success. When I make the commitment, I promise our marriage will be about we and not me. That means I'm committing to love with the same love that God has shown me. It's a deeply committed agape love. It is selfless, it is sacrificial, 
it serves. And finally, when we promise to confide in each other and not hide from each other, it just sets the table for an honest and open relationship that is built on trust. No shame, no hiding. It's living the life that you were called to live, to be walking in freedom because there's not even a hint of impurity there. I want you to experience that life, that life to the fullest. And you can experience that life whether you're single or whether you're married because it all starts by building this on your relationship with God. And so as we come to a close today, I'm gonna ask first that we just bow our heads and close our eyes together because I wanna pray a prayer of blessing over each and every person here today. Uh, a prayer that would encourage you to put these vows into practice in your life and to be committed to this, this life that is chasing after purity. This vow of purity, it makes God your number one priority, unequivocally. And if that's the cry of your heart today, I just wanna pray a prayer of blessing over you, a prayer of strength, a prayer of wisdom, that God would bless you as you choose to pursue him with everything you have. That's how we live life to the fullest. That's who we were created to be. So I just wanna pray over you today. God, would you bless us and keep us? Would your face shine upon us and be gracious to us? God, would you turn your face toward each and every one of us and give us your peace, God, as we commit to chasing after you, giving you everything we've got. Give us strength. Give us wisdom. Help us to be willing to obey no matter what. And to stay so focused on you, God, that we don't give the devil even a, a small foothold in our lives. God, may our lives glorify you. May every time you speak to us and ask us to move, may our answer be yes as we live lives that are committed and surrendered to you. And so, God, we thank you, and we praise you today for your love. And we pray this in your name, and together we say amen. And so we can't do a four-week series called The Vow and not take the opportunity to renew vows between those of you who have been married. And so in this moment, I'm inviting you, if you would like to participate in this special and beautiful and, guys, free romantic moment for you to take advantage of, I would invite all of our married couples to stand in this moment, and we're going to take a chance to renew vows together. So wherever you're standing, just stand. You can face each other, and if you have people awkwardly sitting close to you, that is your new uh, maid of honor, and you're, <laughs> it's, it's just the bridal party. It's, it is what it is. It's your best man. And here's what we're going to do. I want you to look at each other, and men, I'm talking to you first. Do you take this woman to be your wedded wife, to live together in marriage? Do you promise to love her, comfort her, honor and keep her all the days of your life? If so, say, I do. That's pretty good. I think you guys did a good job there. <laughs> and now, ladies, I want you to look, and I ask you, do you take this man, not the man you know, next to you over there, but the husband, <laughs> the guy in front of you, do you take this man to be your wedded husband, to live together in marriage? Do you promise to love him, comfort him, honor and keep him all the days of his life? If so, say, I do. These vows are beautiful and sacred. That's the vow that we make before God. This is the vow that we make to each other. Guys, I'm going to ask you to repeat after me. And here we go. Say it like you mean it. I now take you to be my wedded wife to have and to hold from this day forward. For better, for worse, 
for rich or for poor, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, till death do us part. And now, ladies, it is your turn. I now take you to be my wedded husband, to have and to hold, from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, till death do us part. And give yourselves a round of applause, because that's a beautiful moment. <laughs> and you know what? Just because we can, don't sit down, stay standing right where you are. Um, guys, you may kiss your bride. Go for, go for it. There it is. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> that is a beautiful and sacred vow. Some of you are still going. Hey, 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 hey. Let's slow down here. Slow down. This is church. This is church. <laughs> Would everyone please stand and join us in this moment? Uh, these vows are beautiful and sacred. I, I just ask as, as we prepare to leave, as we're going to sing a song and prepare to leave, um, man, cherish the relationships that you have in this life. Cherish your marriage. And chase after Jesus with everything you've got. You guys, we change our community. We change our family. We change the world when Jesus is our top priority and we're living that love sharing that love, reflecting that love with others. So let's reflect on that love. Let's reflect on the goodness of God together. Jesus, you're so good. We are just so thankful for your love today. God, may you bless us in every way as we seek to pursue you with everything we have. So we thank you and we praise you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Let's sing together.